Anyone listening to this show knows that I am absolutely passionate about the game of golf and how blessed I am to have been able to play with some of the top players in the game. So we thought we'd mix things up a little bit and create an episode featuring some of the best stories we've heard from around the golf course. Some that I'm sure you've never heard before and you definitely don't want to miss. So let's start by teeing it up with the GOAT, Tom Brady. What's it like as, as a leader, you know, when you're a leader and you're playing with guys like Phil and, and Tiger and you meet other superstars in, in many different vocations, what do you try to pick up from them? It's, it's really an amazing thing, you know, to see people that are so great at what they do. And again, it could be business. It could be sports. There's so many areas where people have incredible talents mm. and, you know, that's just time to shut your mouth and learn. And <laughs> it's not your time to speak or just shut your mouth and watch other people who are incredible at what they do and try to learn something from them. And watching Phil prepare for that particular match was really cool What to watch how he got ready because his juices got flowing. Then to watch Tiger, I mean, Tiger, quick little story. I mean, we were out on the range that day, so it was pouring rain that day. Um, of the match and they said we're all sitting in the clubhouse together and they said all right you know we're going to start in 45 minutes let's all go out to the range of course we've all been sitting down for you know an hour and we get out we drive out to the range it's a full storm and tiger grabs his wedge out of his bag and he's about 30 yards from one of the little practice pins and he's got about six balls on the ground and the first shot he like opens the loft up on the club and hits this high arcing, you know, 30 yard wedge shot that stops a foot from the hole. And then with the same club, he closes the club face and skips one three times and stops by the hole. Then he hits like a normal uh, trajectory shot to a foot from the hole. And I'm just watching him going, he hit six different shots, all with six different trajectories, spins with the same club in a torrential downpour after a sitting down for an hour. And all, all of them were, were spectacular. And at that moment, I knew, oh, my God, I'm in a lot of trouble today. <laughs> and now the legendary Jack Nicholas. You know, Jack, you're such an accomplished guy and you're such a winner. You, you know, you won more majors than any with 18 and then a record six masters. Looking at your record, what really blows me away is that you finished second 19 times in the majors and third nine times. You were so consistent. What advice can you give to others on, on how, do you, how do you get so consistently excellent? Well, first of all, I think being prepared is probably the most important thing in any walk of life. I mean, you can't walk into a business meeting. You can't walk into anything or as a salesman or anything if you're not prepared. Mm -hmm. And I prided myself on being prepared to play when I was ready to play, wanted to play. And so... Uh, as I went into each of those majors, I really geared myself early in the year for the Masters. And I practiced on courses that I thought were courses that would help me for Augusta. And, and so when I got to Augusta, I was ready to play Augusta. And so being prepared, being ready, and being focused on, on, on those events were something that, that I really prided myself on. And you know, if you're not prepared, you're not going to perform. And so uh, 
I think my consistency came because of my desire to focus where I wanted to focus and where I thought was important. And I did that throughout my career. I always remember uh, where I learned a pretty darn good lesson. I think it was 1985. I was done playing most of my career. And uh, uh, we were playing at Oak Tree in, in, in uh, Oklahoma. And it really didn't suit my eye. I wasn't really working that hard at my golf game at that point in time. I was, still, I was working for ABC doing television. And played in the tournament. And I, and I didn't prepare properly. And I missed the cut. Now, the only thing worse than missing the cut is to have to stay around on the weekend and talk about everybody else playing in the tournament <laughs> while, while you're watching. And so, anyway, as, as was fitting, I think on Friday night after I missed the cut, we went to McDonald's. And, of course, I, I, it's about all I was worth as a hamburger in that, t- that, that <laughs> night. And Barbara that night, she went in and she, she saw a little cup that was uh, probably one of those sippy meals or sippy yeah. cup or whatever it was. And... Uh, the next morning, I had a cup of coffee sitting there, and in this little cup, it said, there is no excuse for not being properly prepared. And I get Barbara credit for your Oh, you get Barbara for a lot of that. And, <laughs> and, you know, I looked at it, and I said, you know, she's so right. Yeah. And, and it is so easy to be properly prepared. You look at guys that, that when, when they, you see basketball and football, you see these guys are not ready to play, and they, don't, they have bad games. You shouldn't ever have a bad game. I mean, goodness, they're only playing a game one, a week apart, usually. Yeah. And... You should be prepared each week to, to be able to play in that game. Yeah. And uh, did I have some bad tournaments? Yeah, but not very many because I'm prepared. And I just love this story from Fred Ridley, the chairman of Augusta National Golf Club. By winning the U.S. Amateur, you qualified to play in the 1976 Masters. Now, that's incredible. Uh, who did you play with? And... How did you handle your nerves on the first tee? I mean, I don't think I could have taken the club back. Well, there is a tradition, which uh, I'm sure you're aware of, David, that that the uh, defending Masters champion plays with the current U.S. Amateur champion. In those days, we played. The Masters was paired in twosomes even the first two days. So I was paired. Of course, Jack Nicklaus won the Masters in 1975 with that sort of famous putt on number uh, number 16, uh, you know, where he raised his club, which ultimately I think became <laughs> one of his logos. And so he was uh, he was the defending champion and I was the U.S. Amateur champion. So we were paired in the first round. Now, you know, I had a little bit of an advantage as far as how nervous was I going to be in that uh, through Jack Grout, I had gotten to know Jack Nicholas a little bit over the past year and actually played a couple of times with him. And he was nice enough that week to ask me, to play a practice round. So while it was really nerve wracking, it was not quite as bad as walking up on the first tee and having to introduce myself. (laughs) I do remember teeing it up and I have no recollection of swinging the golf club and hitting it off the first tee. Fortunately, I looked up and it did go down the middle, but that was certainly a a great experience for a young guy. (laughs) Well, when you think back on it, what do you remember now most from that experience? A couple of things just the awesome presence of mind, the awesome talent and presence of mind of Jack Nicholas. I mean, you, you got to remember, you know, he was 36 years old at the time and uh, I was 23 and he was 36. So he was in the absolute prime of his career. Um, you know, he had, you know, he had lost a bunch of weight. He had the long blonde hair. I mean, he was, he was really, a, he was something, you know, hit the ball a mile for back in those days. Of course, equipment was much different, but, I think the one moment I remember in that round more than any 
is we had played seven holes. I was even and he was one under. And the eighth hole, so par five, I birdied and he made a par. So we were both one under on the first ninth seed, rather. And I had the honors. And, uh, of course, we're hitting these small wooden-headed drivers back then. I can't even believe we could hit it anywhere. But but I had a really good drive off the ninth tee. I mean, my best of the day. And, and I was feeling pretty good. And so I picked up my tee and kind of caught Jack's eye as I was walking back to the side of the tee like, okay, Jack, that's my best. And, uh, <laughs> and he smiled and he teed it up and knocked it 50 yards by me. <laughs> and, and then we went from there to I, I had some trouble in the back nine, shall we say. And Jack sort of methodically, you know, hit the, all the par fives and two, made one other birdie, made five birdies and 13 pars. It was the easiest 67 I've ever seen. And, and so you asked me a question earlier why I didn't turn professional. I think that round might have been a microcosm of the answer. Now, interestingly enough, one of my favorite golf stories didn't actually occur on a golf course. You know, I had the great privilege of hosting Arnold Palmer and, and his wife at the Kentucky Derby. And that morning, when we're getting ready to, to go. Arnold's downstairs with my wife, Wendy, and they're having a cup of coffee. And I don't know who did it, but somebody knocked over a glass on the floor and broke the glass. And Arnold Palmer said to my wife, Wendy, where's the dustpan? And she said, I can't have Arnold Palmer, you know, getting out the broom and using a dustpan in my house. And he says, Wendy, where's the dustpan? I've been doing this my entire life. And, you know, I love that because here's the greatest golfer. You know, here's the, the fan favorite, the king. This guy never lost sight of his roots. And that just shows you what a special guy he is. Now, as the story goes on, that morning, it's raining cats and dogs at the Kentucky Derby Day. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it's predicted to rain all through the day and into the night. So, our guest and Arnold, we get into the, the limo to go to the Kentucky Derby. And Arnold Palmer said to everybody, I guarantee you, when those horses walk out on the track, that sun is going to come out and the sky is going to part. And we said, you are absolutely crazy. And we all bet them $100 that that wouldn't be the case. Well, guess what happened? The horses come strutting out and just at that moment, the sky parts, the sun comes out, and Arnold Palmer lets out the biggest yell you could ever hear, and it was like he won the Masters. It was amazing. But here's a guy who liked to have fun wherever he went, on the golf course and off it. He was somebody you wanted to be around. Now, I play golf with this guy all the time, Larry Fitzgerald. He's yet to beat me, but he's really working hard on his game. I know you're an avid golfer and you've just recently picked it up and you've really become very good in a hurry. You've won the AT&T Pro-Am already. You know, you're already, you know, just getting all these, this hardware, you know, how'd you get into golf and, and what has it taught you so far about yourself? Well, one of my former teammates, Andre Roberts, who actually played for the Buffalo Bills, the one that got me into golf seven years ago, we were at practice and he was like, man, Fitz, you're sitting around, you're not doing anything. You, you might as well just come out here and, and play some golf. So he, he drug me out to this this celebrity this celebrity tournament, and I played terribly because I never played before. And 
but I hit a couple shots that felt great, right? You know, just, <laughs> just a few. I was like, man, you know, nothing like a compressed golf ball. You know, you know, you know the feeling. And I got it, and and I was like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta have this, and and I just committed to it. I started hitting balls every day, and and I started getting better, and I saw the progress. And I remember you start off like, man, if I could just break a hundred, right? And then it's just. If I could just, if I could just break ninety, you know, mm. if I could just break eighty, you know, and it, and I realized that now that I, that, that I shoot the seventies often, now all I want to do is shoot in the sixties, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and that, it never changes. You're always in pursuit of greatness and, and always chasing it. But the greatest thing about golf is you get a chance to be able to really meet some unbelievable people. You get a chance to learn, um, you know, about what makes a man tick. I, I think golf is the best four-hour interview you can ever have. You, you see a man's temperament. You, you see, you know, if that person is honest, you know, if they have integrity, you know, how they how they handle prosperity, how they handle defeat, you know, all of these things you learn by playing golf in four hours. And um, not to mention, you know, it's something that you can never beat. Now, you, you, if you're the best football team, you get a trophy and you win the Super Bowl. But golf is fleeting. You know, today you might shoot a 75. Tomorrow you can shoot 95. It's, <laughs> there's nothing that stays the same. And I think that that kind of like – care that you'll never be able to beat the game, I think keeps you hungry trying to chase it. Anil Bushri, he works round the clock making Workday one of the greatest companies in the world. But he's also had the great privilege of knowing and playing with Phil Mickelson. You really do some fun advertising with Phil Mickelson and uh, you've linked up with other golfers as well. Why Phil and why golf for Workday? Um, you know, so, so on the golf side, it actually goes back. I'll give SAP some credit uh, on this one. In our early days, we were in a in a competitive situation with SAP. We were, I thought we were winning the deal, and then we hear the following week we lost. Like, how do we lose? Well, they took the CEO out golfing with Ernie Els. We lost because they took him out with Ernie Els. <laughs> and uh, and I think Ernie's a great guy, but I thought, wow. Uh, it's not necessarily about winning or losing deals by having that golf at the end. What it is about is uh, the C-suite pays attention to golf. It's there's no better sport to reach uh, to reach CFOs, CHROs, CEOs. You know, maybe F1, maybe at a lower level tennis. But if you want to get to the decision makers, golf is a great way to do it. And so we started down the golf program. Uh, Brand Snedeker was the first. Uh, person we work with who is just a great human being and one of my buddies um, and then you know a chance came up with Phil and and Phil's a move uh, he's a needle mover he's iconic he goes by one name I don't know if it's Phil or lefty either one either one works <laughs> and I would just say as an ambassador for workday he works so hard on our behalf he never says workday he says we he talks about it as if he's part of the company and you know, the other part, as you see in the ads, which we didn't know when we signed him, is he's a pretty funny guy. He's got yeah. a great sense of humor. <laughs> and our marketing people, you know, are very focused on one thing when we do an ad. People don't want to watch boring ads. They want to watch something that makes them laugh, uh, might leave a good message, but makes them laugh. And Phil is, is really good at that. He's, he's really good at that. He ad-libs a lot of his, a lot of his uh, acting on TV is completely ad-libbed by him. And now, Roy McElroy is going to share a moment from the 2016 Ryder Cup where he shows you that even in the most difficult and challenging and most competitive situations, you can have camaraderie. And I think that's what makes the game of golf so special. 
You know, there's so many emotional highs and lows in golf. And I remember in the Ryder Cup, you had probably one of the greatest matches of all time with Patrick Reed. And I remember you threw in a bomb, and then he came in and threw another putt, and it was like um, uh, and you, got, you guys were both screaming and yelling at each other. Then he comes over to the side of the green, and you give him a, a fist bump. Uh, you know, that was... That was a pretty magical moment for for sport. You know, how did you you obviously want to beat this guy's brains out and he's not exactly, you know, the the most humble guy in the world, you know. How did you, what what talk about that yeah, moment? Yeah, so even even you just talking about it there I getting goosebumps because that is everything that embodies great competitive sport but played in the right manner. You know, there was screaming and high-fiving and yelling and great putts going in and great shots and taunting each other with the celebrations. There was all of that, but there was still a lot of respect there. I respect Patrick Reed's game a hell of a lot, um, and I know he respects mine. And it was one of those moments where I almost took a step back when he holds his putt on the eighth green, and, and I thought to myself, this is, you know, some, sometimes you don't realize that you're in the middle of something really special, but at that moment in time, I did. I, I, this is, this is different. This is going to be remembered for a long time. And for him to reply like that, after me holding that putt, you know, I give him a fist pump. We, we put our arm around each other and we walked the whole way to the ninth tee like that. And not a lot of people could see that because it's under, under a bridge. Um, but we chatted the whole way to the ninth tee and talked about how cool this is and let's keep it going and let's just keep throwing birdies at each other. And it was a really special moment. And I mean, look, I lost that match in the end, but I'm, I'm very glad that I was, uh, that I was a part of something that was that special. And now you got to hear from my great pal, Spider Miller the 2015 and 2017 Walker Cup captain. You're a hell of a golfer. You, you, you ran, won the mid-amateur uh, in, in 96 and, and, and 98, which is you know, just, just an amazing accomplishment, which allowed you to play in the Masters the, those two years. Uh, you know, as you developed as a golfer and you end up playing, at, at the Masters. Well, what was that like when you, you know, you, you, you go from being an amateur, now you're out there with all these pros. What was that like? Well, I, <laughs> there's an old saying, uh, when, when we were kids, if you wanted to see time go fast, uh, take out a big mortgage because <laughs> the first of the month comes around pretty quick. But I can still remember having one and, and uh, I was up, I live in Indiana and it was cold and the first Masters commercial would come on. They would start those about maybe February, maybe March. They run the teasers, you know, uh, uh, a tournament like no other. And I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to play in that. <laughs> and I hadn't played at all. And, but it was great. I had, I had a, a great experience. I was very fortunate to be friends with Fuzzy Zeller. Fuzz uh, took me under his wing, arranged our practice rounds, and we played with Arnold. That's where I first met Arnold, and uh, got to play with Jack and and uh, Tom Watson, guys that that you know I thought a lot of as golfers. And uh, so thanks to him, it was it was very easy for me. Well, you you did become very good friends with the uh, the great late uh, Arnold Palmer. What did you learn from him? that you think uh, everybody could really apply as principles in their life? I think what I learned most from Arnold is that you treat people uh, the same. Arnold treated the, the people who could not help him in any manner whatsoever. He treated them as well as the people who could help him. 
Yeah, you know, the doorman, the locker room guy, the, the waitress, the waiter, uh, server nowadays. But Arnold was kind, and uh, he showed the same, the, he treated people the same regardless of who they were. And I thought it was one of the greatest traits. He, he took his time, and when he left you and he'd meet people for the first time, you always had a feeling that you knew him for a long time. He had that ability to put you at ease and... And he didn't, uh, he didn't want patronized. You know, Arnold was the first one to reach. He was the biggest tipper. He was, um, he was just a special man. Well, I, I love each and every one of those stories. And I'm going to give you another one. You know, I've been able to play with a lot of professionals. And, uh, you know, one round that I will never forget is playing with Ray Floyd, who is one of the world's great guys. I mean, this guy is just a tremendous person and so much fun to be around. So we're playing golf and he's having a, a normal round, but nothing special for him. And we get to the, the, the 12th hole and he was doing okay, but, but not great. And then I asked him a question. I said, Ray, when you won the Masters, what were you thinking? And he said, you know, David, all I did was look at the target think about where I wanted the ball to go, how it was going to get there, and swing. And guess what? Every time I did that, the ball went exactly where I wanted it to go, and it went there that whole tournament. It was amazing. And I thought, well, boy, that's the power of, of having a great visualization and a great mindset. Well, on the 14th hole, Ray Floyd knocks it to two feet, makes birdie. On the 15th hole, he knocks it to three feet and makes another birdie. On the 16th hole, he makes another birdie. And then on the 17th hole, he makes a birdie. And I said to him, Ray, what happened? What were you thinking? He said, you know what? I started thinking about how I was thinking when I won the Masters. And I think that's just such a, a great leadership insight because, you know, you've got you to gotta see it. You got to believe it. And then you can make it happen without seeing it, without knowing that it can happen. You know, it very rarely does. I hope you enjoyed what I consider to be a bonus episode of the adventures and stories from the golf course. This is something we had a lot of fun putting together. I love the game of golf and so many of the leaders I talk to, both men and women share that same passion. If you have a great story or golf adventure, we'd love to hear it. Share with us through the website or connect with us on social media and tag us. And stay tuned for more from our Insight Series. Until the next time, stay well. Stay well.